When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm here as always, your host Steve Haller. Joining me as always, Christian DeGuzman. Andy no longer gets the as always tag because, well, he's Andy. Uh, what's <laughs> yeah. going on, Pregler? <laughs> well, we've now made the discovery that the microphone that I have been using for the entirety of this podcast is actually basically a directional microphone that needs to be in the direction of my face and no more than a centimeter away. Yeah, so for, so any for those time listeners, the drastic, <laughs> increase so in, the drastic increase in Andy's audio quality has been figured out. So here we are. Now you get to hear me cough and stutter and do my things in much better quality. All because I was making a joke about a soccer game that didn't even mention that Arsenal beat Man U today, uh, and now I get to do it live on the pod. Sorry, Christian. It's true. And here I am. I just, just want one Aaron Wambasaka to defend. That's all I ask for in my life. That's all I ask for. <laughs> yeah, you should have known going into that one. <laughs> there was going to be pain. My, I was sitting with a. Fr- I was watching it with a bunch of friends who are soccer adjacent or Man U fans, and the one who is soccer adjacent, he's a Chelsea fan. He just went, this game is going to end 2-1 with the losing team dominating XG. And then as it was playing out, I was like, I really hate you. I really hate you. I really hate you, Tucker. This is what's going to happen. And then, you know, Bakoya Saka happened. And then I was just, ah, the Arsenal, the Arson LOL curse is getting lifted ever slowly by the day. And I am getting hopeful. And as a Syracuse fan, I have learned that this is the most dangerous time. Yes. This is when it all comes crashing down. You are in the mm-hmm. most dangerous game right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's... means Arsenal's on the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Arsenal's about to run into uh, a Virgin or uh, a Vermont team in the fir- in the first round and and lose in a historic fashion. So Everton. Um, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, boy. This is how Everton stays in the Premier League, by beating, by beating Arsenal, assuming that they haven't played them twice yet. I don't yeah, think we that have. sounds right. That, that 100% <laughs> tracks. Oh, as the great Ted Lasso episode says, it's the hope that kills you. <laughs> this is true. Or Speaking of hopeful things. <laughs> or, if it's, or if it's Ted Lasso, West Ham inevitably is the team that beats you, and that's going to feel even worse. Mm-hmm. The, ghosts of, mm. the ghost of John Casillo passed. <laughs> we need to figure out who the heel turned West Ham of the ACC is because I'm kind of at a loss. I don't think we've really seen a program do that hard of a heel turn, at least in the Syracuse era of the ACC. We know it's not going to be Mike Bray. <laughs> I feel like I want to say Virginia because I felt like it slowly crept up that they were good and then they became really good. And there was like, wait, well, how did this happen? Why? Yeah, but there's no like, there's no Doctor Evilness to uh, to the the whole Virginia program. 
Like, I can't hate them. I just actually enjoy watching the stupidity they play with. Even <laughs> if it's just... Even if it's just defense? I I mean, you're talking to a former offensive lineman. That's, like, yeah, that's true. That's, that's yeah. what I do. Yeah. <laughs> do you shuffle and stay in front of somebody? Okay, good job. <laughs> Scoring yeah. optional. But... You make good points. <laughs> These are points that have been made, and yeah. they are not bad. Uh, we should say, like, you know, we, we should all be wearing shorts right now to honor Mike Bray, because that's the last time an ACC coach will be wearing shorts on the sideline. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. A thing that happened. So I'm still, you know, as we're as we're still going, I'm still reeling from the game that just happened. So, um, yeah. Uh, getting... uh, what is it? Kingsley Jonathan was on the team. Uh, yeah. Was on the Bills and actually showed up in this game. Yeah. Yeah, and the rest of the Bills didn't. Yeah. So... <laughs> I was about to say that. Yep. Here we are. Uh, um... Yeah. So for the Western New York and Central New York fans who are listening to this, uh, I'm I'm so sorry. This uh, I'm not gonna lie. I was not rooting for the Bengals in this one, but. Bengals Chiefs could be fun. I thought Bills Chiefs would be more fun. And unfortunately, uh, with it goes my... It's better than this Dallas-San Francisco game right now. Fair. Yeah, NFL playoff games have been such a roller coaster ride in that they're either good or they're terrible. And I feel like it's been (laughs) 50-50. No in between. (laughs) A lot like Syracuse men's basketball. No in between. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Syracuse men's basketball team goes one and one this week. Uh, beat Georgia Tech pretty handily, and uh, they lose to Miami not handily. Uh, I don't really know what the the opposite of that is. Uh, I thought the Georgia Tech game was interesting. I was back in Pennsylvania attending to some family matters, and the I am allowed to gamble in Pennsylvania because of my job. And so I go to Pennsylvania and I looked at, I want is like, oh, I'll place a bet on Syracuse. Like this seems like a terrible way, but whatever. I have $5 of promos in my account. Let's try it out. And I saw that they were only two and a half point favorites over Georgia Tech, which, you know, road ACC game, struggling Syracuse team. However, I didn't think Georgia Tech was, you know, quite at the level where they should be, you know, basically a one possession loss to Syracuse, all things considered, especially when we last saw these two teams play. Um, and then, you know, Syracuse closes out with a 17 nothing run to really kind of ice the game and, and make the scoreline a bit more lopsided. But once again, uh, odds makers know a little bit more than me, and this game was close for a while. Uh, Christian, I'm curious what you saw in this game that allowed Georgia Tech to kind of hang in there for as long as they did before Syracuse, you know, put the nail in the coffin with the final run. Well, it's basically the story of the Syracuse season. What's been the worst part about this defense? Three-point defense. And that's what uh, that's what gave Georgia Tech its initial lead in the first half. And it's what gave, uh, um, and it's what allowed them to slowly start making a comeback in the middle of the second half before Syracuse eventually pulled away. And it's just going to be one of those prevailing themes that Syracuse, you know, basically personnel-wise, it's going to be difficult to stop based on who's on the floor at any given time. Yeah, the dead air is, is absolutely fantastic. Sorry about that. I had myself <laughs> muted, as always. Um, Everybody as I, was as looking, I type up. So if you were watching the video, you were looking at Pregler try and talk, and it wasn't happening. 
Yeah. And us just looking at him like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. As I've, I've realized now, uh, thanks, now that I understand how microphones work, uh, that I should mute myself no, when I'm kitchen. <laughs> it only took us how many years of doing the pod to do this? What's really funny is that I spent the week talking to my extended family. They were wondering, how did you go from technology, from journalism to technology? Uh, so, yeah, I've been talking about the whole, you know, oh, yeah, I went to school for four years for broadcast journalism, and here we are. <laughs> And yes, Steve, you are absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> it's really not that hard to figure out. Um, but yes, I was going to say this team's the, the zone. There are there is a very loud section of Syracuse fans, and I'm friends with a lot of them who say that the zone defense in an era of three point shoot and like Steph Curry basically broke the, the two three zone. And then what I mean by that is that Steph Curry has taught everybody that, like, listen, if you can't do anything, learn how to shoot really well. So that way, if you're on the floor at a D1 level, at minimum, if you can't do anything else, you can get a shot off really quickly. And it kind of breaks the zone. However, we've seen Syracuse have really good three-point defenses before in this modern era. But it requires a certain recipe on the floor. And this year's team just doesn't have that recipe. And I don't. It's it's really silly to sit here and talk about the, the talk about basketball the way that we talk about football. Like, okay, things are kind of lost. Why don't we just throw out everybody else and see what we got? Because that's not the way that Jim Beheim works. But I think we're getting to the point where Steve and I talked about this on the show last week. Like, I think it's time to start messing around with some different combinations. Like, I'm no Joe Girard defensively is a known like absolute uh, loss on the court. Yes, he is the offense right now. I'm kind of here for let's rein in his minutes a bit and try out some different combinations and just see if we can get a better um, a better amount of defense and if not better offense, the same level of efficiency because if there is one knock against Gerard, he is not an efficient shooter. Well, that's where in Georgia Tech, the, in the Georgia Tech game, and that's where basically it all turned, where Beheim threw out a lineup that was basically Joe Girard and four defenders, because the lineup was basically it was basically uh, Samir Torrance, Justin Taylor, Malik Brown, and Borne Huma, and then Jesse Edwards, hmm. and that was basically the lineup that brought Syracuse back into the game when they started the press. That was Syracuse's best pressing lineup by far, especially with Hema in instead of Edwards. Because you have Brown, who is basically Syracuse's best defender. It's Torrance, who is Syracuse's best uh, guard defender. Hema, who is a better defender than Edwards, just isn't as efficient in the other areas of the game. And Taylor, who is going, who has shown more effort than Bell and Williams on the defensive end at least in past games. And so Taylor, Taylor, I think could also push for more minutes. He's just right now inconsistent, but he, he, he's slowly making a more push. Obviously the highlights go to Brown because he's basically just doing everything that Syracuse asked him to do at a very efficient rate. But that was the lineup that basically brought Syracuse back into the game was Gerard and those four guys. And you saw the offense run through Gerard because of something that we really figured out kind of quickly is that 
Joe Girard has developed post moves because he is he has figured out if he has a if he has any sort of physicality advantage over his defender, he will back them down and fade away post Kobe Bryant style. I would argue that in any other universe, Joe Girard learning from Kobe's shot selection is a net negative for the program, but you're not wrong in this scenario. The guy is finally using some of that, let's just call it, you know, gently blocky frame to uh, to his advantage. <laughs> and it's honestly the first time in his entire career we've seen Joe Girard be efficient inside the arc. Right. And Up until that, we didn't know he could play inside the arc. Yeah. And because of that, all of a sudden now, this is what allows Gerard to remove some of the inconsistencies that Andy talked about and remove some of the inefficiencies that Andy talked about as well. Because Gerard, anyone who has seen Joe Gerard knows that he's a confidence guy. You, you, you get him rolling and it's hard to stop him. He, he's the... He's the snowball that catches fire. Okay. Too soon. Too soon. Because, yeah. (laughs) And what that means is those post moves allow him to actually see the ball go through the net, which gives him the confidence to to take the ridiculous threes that he takes. Right. And in turn, that gives Syracuse the scoring edge that allows also the paint to open up for Jesse Edwards and Malik Brown. Now, if we could yeah. find some way to middle ground that between four defenders and Gerard, because when he's not hitting, it's not a pretty sight. And yeah. if he, if we can find, you know, Brian. maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe run that, uh, maybe run that lineup with Edwards or, uh, yeah, know, we, and that's what, and that's what we saw earlier this week in the Miami game because Gerard had a lot of that was the first time we saw Gerard's post moves really affected effective but then once Miami made the defensive switch to take away those Gerard post moves the offense slowed down and then Syracuse forgot how to rebound we knew how to yeah. rebound well that's debatable you can't forget if you don't understand how <laughs> you make good points like we have Jesse Edwards and then no one that can rebound well, well Brown is doing better again. yes uh, Chris Bell is still allergic to rebounding the ball um, yeah and our guards are our guards. Mm-hmm. I was going to pull up the, the Gerard thing is really stark. Um, so this is the first game this season where Joe Gerard was above 50% from the floor and above 50% from the, th- uh, from the three point line uh, all year. So just want to call that out there. He was 11 of 21 um, from field goal uh, from the field in general. And he was th- six of 10 from three. Um, so obviously three point shooting is never going to be exactly 50%, but he's been, uh, Gerard has basically, his season is basically having a game where he shoots 40 or above or a game where he shoots sub 15% from three. See the last two games against Notre Dame and Miami, where he was a combined two of 13 from behind the arc. Um, the efficiency that you're talking about, Christian is so crucial to this team being successful, um, because we can't, re- as just covered, can't really rebound and the defense is, is struggling. So giving teams more possessions is bad. Um, this is not a team that's really built to, to withstand that kind of, uh, prolonged second opportunities from, from other teams. 
I guess on the efficiency front, though, like if we're looking at the upcoming schedule, we have three games that I don't think we're going to find any sort of semblance of efficiency out of Joe Girard because we have UNC and then at Virginia Tech and then home against Virginia. None of those three scream Joe's going to get any chance to not be completely smothered on defense the entire game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I meant to pose that as a question, but it actually works out as a statement quite well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, that's not not great looking at it. Um, Yeah. I mean, does do we know if Kator is back for tech? We do not yet. Uh, He has yet to pull. If he, if he is, Virginia Tech wins that game on Saturday next week. Right. So because the because the main reason why Virginia Tech lost that game in the dome is because they couldn't hit a three to save their lives. Yeah, pretty much. I mean they they had as many open looks as you could possibly ask for and could not hit the broadside of a barn. You're muted. Um, oh no, never mind. <laughs> no, no, I was just I was just saying something. I'm, I was looking something up. Um, so I don't know if you guys ever go on uh, college basketball reference and look at some of the advanced stats that I think are definitely um, interesting. College basketball is notorious difficult, difficult for getting these kinds of things well done because the season changes year to year so much and the sample sizes are so small. But, um, you know, uh, on the the offensive rating is one of my is one of the more interesting things that I look at. Um, basically it's an estimate of points scored, uh, or produced per 100 possessions. And so normally you're going to have a number, you know, a hundred, you want to be above a hundred, um, on offense, on defense, you want to be below a hundred. Uh, Joe Girard is at, for the orange, he is 109, uh, offensive, uh, offensive rating. That's the seventh best on the team. And when you factor in that his D rating is 108, Gerard basically ends up being a wash on the court for the Orange. And it really is about everybody else. So, Steve, to your point about the teams that we're facing next, actually the best player for Syracuse in terms of offensive and defensive differential is uh, is Malik Brown. Yeah, um, that, that tracks. Yeah. And behind him, number th- number, uh, number three is, is Justin Taylor. Um which yeah. I think, again, is really interesting because we just kind of talked about he's definitely someone we're seeing improve, and the numbers bear out that this is somebody who, at least right now, is being put in positions to succeed and could theoretically step up in a big way. Um, then you've got Jesse Edwards, Kima, Samir Torrance before you get to Gerard, and then uh, Chris Bell, who's actually a negative um, because he has a higher defensive rating than offensive rating, which is not what you want to see. Yeah. Um, Where's that? Mince is two, right? I'm assuming then. Mince is number two on the, or sorry, Mince is number nine actually. Oh wow, he's be, he's below Gerard and uh, Chris Bell. He's only at a 106, but his defense is 104, so he's still technically in the positives. But you know, he's but also a, but also much like Gerard and Wash. Yeah, Gerard yeah. Gerard is basically point five percentage points of a positive impact. So, you know, Mince is a little bit better, but... So um, when your two yes, starting guards similar. are a wash... What was that? I said when your two starting guards are basically a wash, that's not really a great look, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the problem. And that's the problem for Mince right now is that 
he's playing too fast for his own good. Um, for every good thing he does, there's a couple of what the, yeah. what the hell are you doing I mean, moments. Yeah, and and it's the trouble right now because like because especially since like Syracuse fans want to see him back for another year, mainly just so he can continue to develop. The thing is, it's like you can't. Uh, Kevin pointed this out. Like you can't teach the dribble drive skills that he has. Right. And that in alone, it's going to make at least some NBA teams make a uh, give a look. Yeah, you can work on you can work on shooting all day. You can work on shooting. You can work on turnovers and ball security as well. Right. Because <laughs> that innate mm-hmm. ability, or you know, uh, yeah. recognition of when to dribble yeah. drive is is something that they're gonna take highly. And yeah, I- ironically, that dribble that dribble drive and like inside game, it's actually probably what would allow Justin Taylor to see the floor a bit more, because in a ironic non ironic sense he's base he is essentially tracking what his doppelganger is doing at least in the Syracuse career because yeah. when you think about what buddy was in his Syracuse career you know good role player you know had occasional good games but and you know defense was you know okay for what it showed but the overall offensive game was not enough to support Syracuse and what they needed and then once you saw Buddy develop that inside game, is when he became a true threat that Syracuse could rely on. And once Justin Taylor develops that inside game, because right now he and basically Chris Bell also just stay on the perimeter and wait for somehow for themselves to magically get open. Like once you see inside games develop from them, that's when you can hopefully see them develop a bit more. But especially Taylor, because he seems to be putting in more defensive effort than Bell is right now. Yeah, I still don't know what I'm going to make of this team, though. In general. I don't know if there is anything Every... to make of this team. Like, I think we... I mean, this is, this is something... That might be You might be there. That might yeah. be... You might be onto something. Yeah, like, we've we've consistently talked about, from a big picture, and this was more of a John and Sean Keeley thing, uh, about like what what does the d- death of this program look like? Because we knew it was never going to be a graceful uh, turnover from Bayheim to the next guy. It was always going to it was always going to end like this. And I'm pretty sure that somebody, maybe it was Kevin, wrote this type of article uh, last season at the end of the basketball season. This, this was always the way it was going to end. Uh, but it's not. You don't bottom out. And then force uh, force Beheim out. Beheim was always going to want to fix his stuff, but the question was, could he fix it in this modern basketball world that we now live in? And I think the answer to that question was always maybe, but failure and success were going to be two ex- were going to be two ends of a graph, with success being a lot <laughs> a lot less uh, of a smaller margin than than failure. And I think we're at the point where this is going to just kind of be what it is. It's going to be a bunch of guys that don't quite fit together because we're going for one thing but can't get it. So we end up settling for the second best options, which are usually project guys. But in this era of the transfer portal, it's really hard to have continued project guys from year one to four. Uh, so you're not getting consistent development. And what you end up with is is basically just a very boring one-dimensional team with very obvious flaws that can be easily exploited 
I think the only reason that this team, we continually give it hope is that the rest of the ACC is a big fiery dumpster fire that there's a belief that Syracuse could theoretically play itself into a position that in any other season would be a tournament team except for this year's ACC. And when when you think about it, like in the recent years of Syracuse, Syracuse has seen its most success with project guys. Like, you you know, you take a look at, you know, like recent runs, like as much as we'd like to, you know, think it was a success, Buddy Beheim was a project guy. Michael Benege was a project guy. You know, like these guys like those, Trevor Cooney, like essentially was a project guy because as for all the good that he did, he didn't really show up until years four and five of his Syracuse career. Like those guys, like the guys that we think about in Syracuse lore are like guys who took at least a year to develop, you know, like Tyus Battle. You yeah. know, took took a step in his second year yeah. to help him make that 2018, uh, 2018 run. You know, o- O'Shea Brissett also took a step in his second year. So, Carter Williams. Yeah, Michael Carter Williams. I mean, CJ Fair also, you yeah. know, stayed all four years. Dion. Mm hmm. I mean, he left, but he made a giant jump from being six man, well, being six man to being six man, but very different yeah. roles. Mm-hmm. Well, the the other thing is uh, the the other thing that you have to remember is that those the good Syracuse teams, like the ones that were ranked in the top twenty five for a lot of the season, also had project guys on the bench. Like I'm I'm thinking about someone like Brandon Trish, who was never the star of a team, but was there around and developed, and by his end. He wasn't the focal point of the offense, but he was somebody that you had to account for because if you didn't, he would be good enough to burn you. And yeah. and Syracuse only has one of those guys who eventually got to that point on this team, and that is Jesse Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. Been around a while. Finally, he took the the Rakeem, the Rakeem Christmas jump. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Now, and, for this team, that Rakeem Christmas jump is not nearly enough to do anything with, it seems. But Much like the Rakeem, yeah, I was going to say the Rakeem yeah. Christmas jump didn't help Syracuse all that no, much. No, because Syracuse wasn't making the tournament that year. Yep. So we're two for two on that, guys. Bravo. <laughs> Big man, do you want to come here, be a project, eventually get good, and by the time that you're good, the rest of the team is butt? <laughs> come to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. What was what did uh, what did Ricky Jackson's senior year look like? No, that was good with him and AO. Yeah, but AO blew out his knee, right? Uh, wasn't that the senior year? No, that was AO's. And, and like in a like in a similar fashion, never came Christmas year could have been good if Chris McCullough didn't blow out his knee. Oh yeah, so we've had a lot ruined by errant knee injuries, huh? That just feels like Syracuse in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Football, basketball, whatever. Lacrosse, why not? Mm-hmm. Women's women's lacrosse has been sidelined by stupid knee injuries. Yeah. It's For the past team. five years. Yeah. All right. We are a knee injury school. All right. Game on. Love it. That's why we have, that's why we have Steve on this podcast and on this site. <laughs> Just filling in the fill, – got to keep the tie going. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're a resident knee injury expert, right? It's true. Been there a couple <laughs> times. And the Achilles as, the, 
I was going to say the standard, uh, the standard offensive line knee injury guy. I feel like those two things kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, the problem with offensive line knee injuries is half the time, like mine, uh, is when your own teammate falls on you. Yeah, friendly yeah, fire. Not great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know what is great, guys? I do. I do. I know where this <laughs> is going. And I'm very Home excited because of what just barrel. dropped. <laughs> yeah, this is what that new house education is good for. <laughs> Home Field Apparel, our sponsor, as always, of the Troy News is an Absolute Podcast, has a very special announcement. Uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Home Field Apparel will be dropping a brand new Syracuse collection. What does that mean? It means a whole new batch of t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, a hoodie, uh, it has a pair of Syracuse-branded joggers. Uh, it is going to be some amazing vintage Syracuse clothing that's coming through. Uh, there is an orange Cuses in the House 1996 t-shirt. Um, there is a women's Auto the Orange t-shirt in the design that Steve is wearing, but in a t-shirt that is more cut uh, for the people who like that more female cut t-shirt out there. I am wearing the Syracuse banner logo long sleeve. Homefield is now doing long sleeves. Uh, it's great. Uh, there's also, I can confirm, the oatmeal Chris, uh, script Syracuse hoodie might be the comfiest thing that I own, and I already own a Homefield hoodie. Just letting you know that they have somehow taken all of those drops and all of the science to say, what if we made our shirts super soft before you wash them? And I will report back after I wash these shirts if they get even softer. Uh, so if you would want to be fun on this, if, or if you want to be in on this fun, uh, head to Homefield Apparel's Twitter account at Homefield A P P A R L uh, and sign up to make get notified when the new Syracuse collection drops. Some of these designs and these shirt products will only be available this week. Uh, and make sure that if you have never bought from Homefield Apparel before, you use the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your entire order. Uh, guys, it is it is a great time to be a Homefield Apparel supporter. And Jaggers. All of the Jaggers. Yeah, I'm buying a pair. The new, I can, I, I will, this is not part of the ad read. This is just legitimate. Uh, my wife got me a pair of the new home field joggers for Christmas because I have a pair of the old joggers, like the OG ones that just say yeah. home field on them. Those joggers are comfortable. I've worn them so much. The new ones are like 10 times softer. They're like the leveled up version of the jogger character. He went on a couple of quests, got some XP, came back, really leveled up. They are, and they have a butt pocket, uh, which, yeah, for... Everybody out there, like I am definitively entering my dad phase where you got ha- you got to have a butt pocket. You got to mm-hmm. you got to stick stuff in the butt pocket. So I I showed the tweet to my wife immediately. She was like, I need the 96 shirt because she was she was up in the dome watching that team like they had that on the screens and we're watching that. So she remembers seeing cues in the house from the dome um, and then uh she can't decide whether she's claiming a pair of joggers or the uh, the sweatshirt. So, yeah, my well, as we, any any uh, ad read as, money is immediately going back to home field. <laughs> as as is the tradition on this side of the podcast, por qué no las dos? Exactly. Uh, no, because I need to buy one, and we also have you know 
a five-year-old that needs things. <laughs> well, uh, we, I do not have a five-year-old that needs things. I am a thirty-year-old so, so be- childless. <laughs> Fully decked in all, all <laughs> home field gear. Well, the the problem is, is that I've wanted their basics for a while because, like, mm-hmm. the T-shirts they sell without the stuff, like that is just uh, so. Yeah. Anyways, Connor, just letting you know when you see the when you see the order come into Brooklyn, it's not a typo. I actually meant to add all those things to the cart. <laughs> you know, please do not flag flag the order. I want I want my stuff now. Um. In de- decidedly less good-fitting things, Syracuse has continued to lose head coaches. Or, not head coaches, sorry. Syracuse football has like continued to lose news. assistant coaches. <laughs> I do not know something that no one else does. Dino Babers is still employed. However, I feel like, uh, and Steve, can, Steve or Christian can correct me here, three-fourths of his staff have left this offseason? <laughs> uh, I think it's literally half. Yeah. Okay. Well, then. This has been a busy week. Uh, Syracuse, We last time we talked, we were talk- talking about the loss of Nick Monroe and what that would mean. Um, but since then, we have continued to see more coaches leave. And naturally, uh, we had to – we have to talk about uh, Mike Schmidt, uh, the offensive line coach who came in uh, after Syracuse's um, – the sorry after the issues that um syracuse had on the offensive line schmidt came in and really kind of set syracuse up for a different kind of power running scheme and uh he is now going to join zach arnett at mississippi state in case you forgot schmidt was a veteran on the san diego state staff where arnett was a dc before he became syracuse's dc for about 12 hours and then (laughs) went down to mississippi state to become their dc um, so it's not really a surprise that Arnett, who is going into his first season as a head coach, would want um, someone that he trusts, someone that he probably learned a lot from just in the art of coaching, uh, wanted someone down there with him for that season. It might also be a you know a thank you to a guy who's been in the business for a while, but it's been a minute since he's been at a level equal to you know what the SEC is today. Um, Steve, I, I kind of, before we talk about the replacement, I'm curious as to what your thoughts were of Schmidt's time at Syracuse because it really kind of overlapped with your de facto becoming of the offensive line guru of of the Syracuse blogosphere. Blogosphere. I I think it was I think it was overall solid. I think it was a mixed bag. I don't think it was as good as he wanted it to be. Um, that may have been personnel limited. That may have been scheme limited. I don't really know. You could see the people he was starting to bring in were more in the mold that he wanted to see of a big power running game. Uh, unfortunately for him, prior to that, the whole uh, everything that uh, had been brought in prior to him was very much uh, lean, quick pass ru- or uh, like athletic pass block type run or uh, lineman when he wanted road graders and he's slowly been getting them with, you know, Kalen Ellis and the like, but it may have been too little too late. And now, I mean, you can't blame the guy for going to coach with his buddy from San Diego state who is giving him sec money. I don't know if that was succinct or answered a question, but that's a statement on what I thought about Schmidt. I think that that's all fair. Um, again, it, the offensive line was had some run of being remarkably terrible under Babers, um, and it became not terrible. Uh, it still wasn't great, but 
a lot of that, you know, as you kind of alluded to, things outside of their control, especially with some injuries of guys that they were banking on. Um, looking at Bleich as a prime example of that recently, where we he's supposed to come in and Chris Elmore playing guard. Yeah, but Chris <laughs> Elmore was that. ended up being really good. Like I don't know how to. I oh, one hundred percent. But like, it's still a fullback playing guard. <laughs> like, how does that happen? I mean, but he's but like Andy said, he still ended up being the best guard on and the best offensive lineman on that team. Right, and that's a problem, and that <laughs> might be more of a systemic problem than we can answer with any discussion about Schmidt. But uh, yeah, I I think I mean Schmidt's a he's a great coach, and I would have loved for him to stay at Syracuse. Um, but much like, and if you look at the, if you look at every one of these hireaways, you can't blame them for moving. And I guarantee Dino wouldn't blame them for moving. Like, all uh, everyone that we've seen so far, you've seen a, a, an older coach move closer to his grandkids. You've seen a young and up-and-coming coach take a DC gig at a Big Ten school with a shitload of bank. And you've seen this move, and who else left? Monroe, go back home. Monroe, go home get and more, make more get money. Get more money. Like, that's, you're four for four on okay like i'm not gonna blame you because if anybody was put in any of those situations you make the move they made the only other one that you know i I would have to do more research to see if there's any other connection is the other coaching move that happened this week yeah chip west is headed out was that Um, official it's not official yet it's still being reported it's not it's not official yet, but it's not official. But Syracuse, according to Pete Thamel, Syracuse yeah. has hired the replacement. So it's all pretty much all but done. Yeah. Um, so Chip West, the defensive backs coach at Syracuse and a recruiting guy, um, has been targeted by Wake Forest, according to Brent Axe. Um, or sorry, Pete Thamel reported. Uh, Pete Thamel reported Brent Axe has the article up on. Syracuse.com West is uh, being poached by Wake Forest. And as I alluded to in that last statement, Pete Thamel just tweeted to this afternoon that uh, defensive back coach Travis Fisher is coming to Syracuse. Fisher was at UCF from 2015 to 2017 and was part and then was at Nebraska from 2018 to 22, uh, pretty much following Scott Frost around. And Fisher is a former uh, NFL veteran of nine years. Um, it seems, Steve, you kind of in the slack said that that was a win of a trade, like getting, you know, which yeah, we were saying Nebraska won the trade of white for him. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Like I, he's probably a fine DB's coach, but they got Tony White. So I, I they inherently win the trade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is that is incredibly fair. <laughs> um. So, yeah, he's going to come in and replace Chip West. Um, now, West, and the repla- West did coach with Doran back at Fordham back in the day. So yeah. there is a connection, at least. There. Oh, there is the connection, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think with all of these moves, again, kind of, Steve, as you alluded to, there's very good reasons and there's connections. Um, Rural and White go back uh, a ways, um, which, is you know, is a big one. And same thing with Anani uh, going to NC State. Uh, there's there's reasons for all of these moves that I think 
the, we can dive into what it's the state of the program once the state of the program is determined. Clearly, as we've seen, the moves are maybe not done being made. Um, but for Syracuse, they've hired uh, Steve Farmer to be the offensive line coach. Uh, Steve, you did a little bit of digging into his background, at, primarily at Tulsa. Uh, what do you have to report to the people who might just be hearing Steve Farmer's name for the first time? Well, the bigger note, he was at Tulsa last year, but prior to that, he was on the A&M staff um, with, oh God, who was the head coach there? Jimbo. Before? Yep, there you go. Um, through through his entire, remember, remember him? Yep, I forgot about that whole that whole <laughs> mess. Um, but yeah, he was on that staff. Uh, produced a good number of Big Twelve offensive line, uh, like all all Big Twelve offensive linemen. Um, seems to immediately play the part. Uh, looks the part of an offensive line coach. So winner winner there. Um, and immediately took uh, the guys out to Heritage Hill for dinner. So. Feed your offensive lineman, and you have a good coach. Sold. It's about the best I got on him at this point. Beyond that, he does come from the Rocky Long coaching tree, so uh, he so he coached under um, Matt Wells, who was a Rocky Long protege, who was the head coach at Utah State. A uh, quick note: it wasn't it wasn't A and M; it was Tech. Oh, still Texas Tech. Good, sorry. Still good Big Twelve school, right? Either way. So yeah, um, yeah. That's it, it. Seems it seems like again. Um, I don't know if his pedigree is as good as what Schmidt would do, and it's going to be a different style. But he's a he's a solid. He's got a solid track record. So I'm more than more than willing to. Uh, see where the see where things lie he's got an uphill battle with losing most of his starters but they uh, i think ultimately the line will be deeper than people thought it was um at least with enrique cruz and if they can find a way to snag a transfer in may so i don't know we'll see how it all plays out yeah this, um, this has been your offensive line corner for the week <laughs> No, but I mean, it, this is this is why you get paid the news bucks, Steve. Uh, it is for the offensive line talk. Even the news um, bucks that don't exist go towards home field. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to home field. Um, I guess the uh, I guess the question that we uh, have is the recruiting aspect of this whole thing. So. Monroe was the primary recruiter for a lot of guys, and Syracuse is clearly bringing in a lot of uh, what it looks like, you know, job for job replacements. But trying to track down whether these guys have been promised any kind of recruiting role, if we're going to take a more by committee approach as opposed to the more Nick Monroe led approach, remains to be seen. Um, I think it's a question that we need to do some digging into, and we're going to need to, you know, kind of wait and see how things play out see whose name continually pops up on 24 seven reports kind of deal. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that that's like the biggest outstanding question at the moment for the Syracuse staff as all the coaching chains kind of move, move through because you're never going to hire a guy and explicitly say, yeah. we're giving this guy this job, but really he's here to be a recruiter. Um, it's going to be I, a I will, lot. I will say it still seems like Syracuse was doing a by committee approach because mm -hmm. um just even even when Monroe was still there, you mainly saw his guys linked with uh, defensive guys, um, 
and then all the offensive guys were by position coach. So I think that's how Syracuse will still go by it, is basically the pitchers and coaches will recruit by their position. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Definitely think that that's a, that's a really fair thing. Um, and I think that the other, the other thing to watch out for just moving forward too is to see how Syracuse does in that Florida area. Um, we've yeah. obviously been relying on Monroe a lot for the, the Florida three-star pipeline. Uh, we'll have to continue to see if that is a continued trend or if we're going to try to go elsewhere. Like I think the DMV area is somewhere, you know, we got Sean Tucker out of there. There's, there's a lot of other areas that the staff seems comfortable working in that are very laden with recruits that are not, you know, upstate New York. Yeah, upstate New York definitively not laden with recruits. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, conversation topic for another time. However, uh, there is uh, more Syracuse sports stuff that happened this week. Uh, the Syracuse Orange are... The uh, are about to expand into the the spring sports season, I guess, is the best way to put it, even though it's not spring. It's January. Uh, Bring in uh, Hoya Saksa's spring sport uh, tweet hashtag. Uh, There was men's lacrosse media day uh, a little bit last week. We Steve and I very quickly briefly covered it, mostly because we didn't really know what was going on. Christian, as a resident laxer uh, here, is there anything that we should be paying attention to or that should have stuck out in regards to the men's or women's lacrosse media days? Well, we'll go with, uh, we'll start with the men. Uh, first of all, defense last year was questionable at best, even though you brought in Dave Petromala. Uh Petromala's defenses have, are always known to be, you know, very complicated and complex just based on his pedigree. And Coach Gates said that he's actually simplified some concepts. So hopefully that makes the defense better, hopefully, because there's a lot of offensive talent on this team. And I think even with, you know, graduations and transfers, um, you still got a lot of offensive firepower, especially from the freshmen that we haven't seen in quite some time, which makes this team pretty, pretty exciting. Um, uh, Gate also talked about, you know, Owen Hill's coming back, which makes Steve very, very happy um, because he he is now going to be the... Um, Actually, it actually remains to be seen if he's going to be the focal point or if, or if Joey Spalina is going to be the focal point of this offense. Right. Um, Poor Tano it'll probably It'll probably be Spalina who's like the main quarterback at X because Hiltz is such a good lefty sniper that right. you'll, you'll see Hiltz probably on that, you know, right side of the cage more often and just wait for him to like, you know, stay there and then fire one from five to ten yards out at blistering speed um seems fine yeah and uh the other thing for gate that is uh notable is that they haven't announced a starter yet for a goalie and you remember last year it was kind of a revolving door at starter eventually harrison thompson kind of settled in there uh but right now they have um they still have harrison thompson but then you have they have two new goalies that came in that are actually pretty interesting. A freshman, um, and I think if I remember correctly, he was at least the top. He was at least the top five, but and may have been the number one goalie in the freshman class coming in with a great name, Jimmy McCool. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, and he was either he was either a top goalie or at least top five um, in the freshman class coming in. 
and so Jade mentioned him him being a guy who will um be a potential for the starter and also another starter uh potential for starter is will mark who is a transfer from liu um and he was named a he was he was the only Q's player named as a preseason all-american for on the men's side so okay. interesting yeah the women had five uh with three on teams and two on all and honorable mentions and mark and will mark was only an honorable mention so you know it goes to show you like where syracuse is right now um and that was from that was from usa lacrosse magazine um so you know based on that you would think will mark is probably going to start but you know gates still has three goalies he's going to decide from so that will be another thing to watch out for who who basically gets the minutes? And nothing like a goalie controversy. Nothing yep. like a goalie controversy. Yep. Um, and on the uh, on the women's side, the the big thing is obviously the uh, as the the highlight of the preseason is uh, Megan Tyrell was named preseason player of the year by uh, USA Lacrosse magazine. So that is. A big highlight that, well, no, even with the great players that Syracuse has had in their program, with Trainer herself and uh, Emily Harris, uh, like she's, I think she's the first one to be like named a preseason player of the year, mainly because you know Trainer was also playing when Taylor Cummings was playing, mm. and Harris Chuck was playing when Charlotte North was playing. So, just like poor, poor they, timing. like while Trainer and Harris Chuck are two excellent players. They had all-time legends playing in front of the, in other schools as well. Right. Um, and then the big thing that both uh, coaches talked about, which is uh, uh, really the big thing that that we uh, that we touched on earlier, was talking about player health. Yes. <laughs> because. Uh, as we already mentioned, Syracuse women's lacrosse has not had the best luck when it's come to injuries. Uh, notably, Meg Carney and Emma Tyrell, you know, missing a major parts of the season last year. Same with Emma Ward. Um, like, they, they've been, they've actually been using, like, GPS technology to, like, look at, you know, what kind of workload that they've been yeah. going through and to, like, you know, try and make sure, like, to, you know, reduce or limit the workload based on, you know, you know how much exertion that they've done. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen like old Trevor Bauer blogs when he uh, vlogs when he's like work talking about like, you know, strength tests and like you know how much, you know, his body can do in a certain day. Um, that that sounds like it's basically what they've in a similar way what they're doing um and so i think that's going to be the biggest thing for both programs is staying healthy mm-hmm. because i i think for, especially for women's lacrosse because you could easily say with a couple injuries that went the other way this syracuse women's lacrosse program should have a national title already so like yeah. and there's there's a lot of things that uh, Syracuse needs in terms of the health aspect across all their sports, 
and it's good to see that lacrosse is at least taking it seriously. Yeah, and that actually, I mean, that was highlighted by both teams in their yes, preseason. exactly. So it's, mm-hmm. and I want to say Mac has Mac and um, uh, Nikki Adams have both embraced that sort of technology as well. Yeah, I mean, you saw that important with Mac. I mean, the only major injury that they had the season, the entire season, was the Booster Schoberg injury. Right. Yeah. No, that's that was that was a big reason why the Mets soccer team won the title because. They had a consistent lineup. Right. They could play the same guys week in, week out. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like like Clemson couldn't say that. Very true. Yeah, the uh the the health of this program is really always the giant albatross, and it really sucks to say that, but the last few years, I don't know how else to describe um this program because it's been a national it's been it's been a national title. Uh, level program in terms of talent, but that amount of talent rarely hits the field all at once, um, which sucks, but is kind of the nature of the sport. Maybe this is the year that things can finally break right. One would hope. Um, Mm -hmm. Speaking of teams that don't seem to break right every time they make a run, uh, the women's women's basketball squad has continued their streak of playing amazing games for three and change quarters against top teams. And then coming up just short. So uh, they, uh, let me pull it up, um, ended up, oh, we didn't have a, we didn't have a recap up. I went to us instead of Q's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dom usually gets on, the recaps Dom. up the next day, yeah. Uh, but th- this time it actually was the second quarter that kind of did Syracuse in. Mm, yeah. um, but also in the fourth quarter, you know, outscored by 10 in the second, outscored by six in the fourth to duke that's number 13 duke so you know good team but still yep and that, that follows a couple other uh yeah. close but, but if, if you want teams. your good lord cues three quarters and then no uh look only a couple of days ago to the georgia tech game where georgia tech only led by one heading into the fourth quarter and then georgia tech proceeded to outscore syracuse 21 10 in the fourth quarter yeah mm. not great so I th- and uh, I think that was that was probably the only dare I say the only bad loss on the year so far for them. Yeah, I would say so. So uh, maybe maybe Penn State. I'm not sure how Penn State's doing right now in the Big Ten. Yeah, but either way, I mean, they're even even at this point with the the turmoil and turnover in the program. If Felicia Leggett Jack has got them playing in a manner of, um, as Lovey Smith would have put it, we are who we thought they were, um, and like playing to the level of talent they isn't that Dennis have. Green? That was Dennis Green, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> getting, your, getting your Chicago Bears coaches uh, yeah. messed up, even though wrong, I'm pretty sure that this was the when they were when the card when yeah, Dennis Green was with the Cardinals. This is when Dennis Green was with the Cardinals, and not when he was with the Vikings. So uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, either way, an NFL head coach once said, (laughs) (laughs) or do just an absolute podcast. We'll shoehorn football in every conversation we can. (laughs) Pretty much. Here we are. But, um, oh God, I can't believe I screwed that one up. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, to get them back to a level that quickly of respectability where they're playing with some of these bigger teams is huge. Uh, especially coming off what what has happened in in that program, so um, 
I, you know, hats off to them. And they've they've got what two home games in a row against Virginia and Louisville coming up. So um, that Louisville game will be another big one because what, you know only losing by nine to Louisville at Louisville, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, so we'll see what they can do at home. Um, that is on Sunday at noon. Uh, I was going to say I'd try to get the kid there, but uh, the kiddo's got ski lessons. So mm. thanks, five-year-olds. And uh, seven, <laughs> 7 o'clock on a uh, Thursday is a mite bit too late for him. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 women's basketball program, man, is going to be – it's going to be something next year. This year it's pain. This year it's pain. <laughs> well, I, I, on the bright side, it's not last year. Very true. There we go. Uh, I think that's everything we needed to cover for this week. Yeah. I'm looking at, because normally when I feel like I'm going to wrap up, Steve jumps in with a not so fast. But wait, but I there's think more. That act- no, I, I don't have anything this week. Sweet. Uh, it's not the so that, dehydrator. <laughs> so with that, uh, we are going to wrap this week's edition of Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, we really appreciate the support. If you were listening to this on your podcast provider of choice, make sure you like and subscribe. Help us trick the e, the future algorithm that will rule all of our lives into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Uh, if you're watching this on Twitch live, thank you so much. We do this every Sunday-ish night around 8-ish. Uh, and we, we appreciate the continued live support. If you're watching this on newsmagician.com, thank you as always for supporting the site. Uh, it means a lot to us to see you come back to the site consistently, uh, and it's it's one of the reasons why we keep doing this. And as always, thank you to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, who, remember, is dropping a limited Syracuse edition drop uh, Tuesday, eight, er, Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, some of the items will only be available this week, so make sure you jump on them and use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at Home Field Apparel. If Gentlemen, I said, if I said I didn't already have an alarm set for 10 a.m. on Tuesday, I would be lying. Yeah, it's the way to do it. Uh, but gentlemen, that is all. Uh, I appreciate uh, podcasting with you guys as always, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>